0: We're going to finish up the book of Judges tonight, hopefully. And uh, we come to these last couple chapters. Some of the commentaries write one little paragraph and, and basically skip them. And uh, there's not passages that you hear preached on ever. Nobody ever preaches on these passages. Uh, but I've got to tell you, They're really appropriate for the day and age that we're living in. It's really surprising how some very obscure text like this, when you read it, all of a sudden, wow, that sounds like something familiar. And so, we get these last three chapters, tells of an incident that occurred, and uh, the reaction to the incident so we're in Judges, right at the end, uh, beginning with chapter 19, Judges chapter 19. And the, the setup is, for the book of Judges, is that there is no king, so there's no unifying factor, so people kinda do what they want, and it constantly repeats that people did what they thought was right. Now, what some people think is right is obviously wrong. Okay, <laughs> I think it's right, but it's not right, it's wrong. And so uh, you can see they just did what they thought they wanted to do. Sometimes it was clearly wrong and sometimes not. Now we get a, a very uh, chilling sometimes story, uh, but it gives us something to think about tonight that'll. Get your minds going. Here we go. Chapter 19 of Judges. It came to pass in those days that there was no king in Israel. There it is. No unifying factor. That there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim. Who took to him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. And so uh, the King James calls her a concubine. uh, Because that was the word that they would use. I think probably uh, that's seen it interpreted servant wife. Servant wife. And I think what probably happened is that uh, this man, this Levite, got himself a servant, a lady's servant. And then he kind of said, you know, you and I ought to get together. (laughs) And so uh, she became his wife doesn't really say whether they were legally bound together or not it hints that maybe they weren't uh, but i think they probably were in some simple way and so uh, basically a concubine in the king james would be a a servant a lady who he's hired to be a servant and has developed a relationship and is now become his wife. Verse 2, And his concubine played the horror against him, went away from him to her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. So she cheated on him. Okay. So we have, we start off, right? Let's get right into it here. Uh, He gets a young servant girl marries her as far as we can tell and then she cheated on him and decided it's better to go home than back to him and so she headed home now the map is going to become really crucial tonight Um, we got the dead sea and the sea of galilee with the jordan river between and if we always mark jerusalem there uh it's not called that at this time but Bethlehem is seven miles south of Jerusalem. And uh, we're going to see a place up here called Gibeah. And he's from up a little farther in Ephraim. Uh, he's in, on the side of a mountain up there, Mount Ephraim, in the high country. So he's come down and he's uh, married this lady from Bethlehem. She's cheated on him. And so she went back home to her father. So how's it going so far? How do you like the story so far? Got a soap opera going right away uh, as we sometimes do the Bible doesn't pull any punches. It tells you what's what. And her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly unto her. And to bring her again. Having his servant with him and a couple of asses. And she brought him to her father's house. And when the father of the damsel saw him. He rejoiced to meet him. And his father-in-law, the damsel's father, retained him. And he abode with him three days. So they did eat and drink and lodge there. So he has gone from Ephraim down to get his wife. He says, come on, let's go home. And, and one of the things about divorce, you understand the Bible says there are grounds where it, it would be allowed, and, and cheating on somebody is one of those grounds. When somebody cheats on another person, it's up to the other person, do you want them back or not? And when people ask me, I always say, you say, Yes. You want them back. he say, but I don't want them back. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't, but what we have to learn, and and for every single relationship you ever are in, forgiveness is an essential element. We're going to learn to forgive. You can't get along without forgiving because somebody's going to do something to you all along the road in life, and you're going to have to learn to forgive in order to get along. And so I like what he does. He's going to go get her. She cheated on him, yes, and took off. He's going to go bring her back. And he says he speaks softly, comfortably, friendly to her. I said, come on, let's go home. Let's go home, you and I. And he meets her father, apparently for the first time, and her father likes him. Yeah, stay here, relax, sit here and eat. And so it seems like a pretty happy thing. Verse 5, and it came to pass on the fourth day, they arose early in the morning, that he rose up to depart. The damsel's father said to his son-in-law, comfort thine heart with a morsel of bread, and afterwards go your way. And they sat down, did eat and drink both of them together. For the damsel's father said to him, be content, I pray thee, tarry all night, let thy heart be merry. So he said, Come on, stay another day. It's all right. We'd love having you here. Stay another day before you go. Now, there's an important phrase there in verse 3 or 5. It says, they came to pass on the fourth day when they ro- arose early in the morning. Don't forget that. Now, it's an important phrase. All right. So, he rose to depart, and his father-in-law urged him, therefore he lodged there again. He rose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. And the damsel's father said, "Comfort thy heart, I pray, thee, tarry tarried until afternoon. He won't let him go. And it's not because he doesn't like him or any other thing, but he says, I want you to stay. I'm having a good time. Why don't you stay? And you have had company like that, haven't you? You've had some. You're okay. You can go. It's all right. But it's nice to have some company that comes sit down, relax, don't go anywhere. Let's, let's have a nice talk together. Let's enjoy a little time together. And I remember when Uncle Ed came, it was always, man, my mother put on the best table you could find. <laughs> and we urged him to stay, but he never did. He's always in a hurry. So off he went. So it's been five days now, right? Three days and then stay for breakfast and he stays all day. Now the fifth day and he stays. It says they tarried till afternoon. Right, watch the timetable. Verse 9. When the man rose up to depart, he and his concubine, his servant, his father-in-law, the damsel's father, said to him, Behold, now the day draweth toward evening. I pray you tarry all night. Behold, the day groweth to an end. Lodge here, and thy heart be merry. Tomorrow you get up early, go your way, you mayest go home. The man would not tarry that night. He rose up and departed. He came over against Jabez, which is Jerusalem. There were with him his two asses, saddled. His concubine was also with him. And when they were by Jabez, that's Jerusalem, the day was far spent. So his goal, where he was headed, was up here, the place called Shiloh. He was off to Shiloh. He is a Levite. He's from the tribe of Levi. And the reason he's going to Shiloh, he's a Levite. He's got work to do there. He's appointed to go there and serve in the tabernacle that's set up in Shiloh. So he's gonna go to Shiloh, and every morning he gets up to in Bethlehem. I gotta leave early, gotta go. No, stay, stay. And he keeps saying, i got to leave early. Ah, uh, that's all he's staying. Finally, the fifth day he leaves, it says, in the afternoon. He can't make it from Bethlehem to Shiloh in a half a day. Now, if he left early, and of course, they're walking with, along with donkeys, he could make it to Shiloh by nightfall. But he doesn't leave early. He leaves late, and that's an important thing. Uh, it's important to remember. Why is he going to Shiloh? Because he has duties there. He's a Levite. He has duties to do. And so, uh, the the thing is, linger or go. Do you linger or do you go? Well, the question is, does you have duties? You got duties. You gotta go. You cannot linger. You gotta go. I was happy in my house growing up. My mother and I always got up and got everything together early. So we were half an hour early before it was time to leave. And we both paced the floor waiting for the other people who never got ready until the last possible second. And she'd say to me, you and I, you and I were going to be on time. Everybody else is going to be late. Yep, always was. But that's a good quality uh, because If there is a duty to be done, you gotta go. Gotta go do your duty. Gotta get up and go when there's duty to be done. Lingering, lingering, lingering is not good. And so he lingered, and now when it's time to stop, he's only got seven miles, he's by Jerusalem. He doesn't wanna go into Jerusalem because Jerusalem is under the control of Jebusites and in the beginning when they were supposed to clear out all the people in the land they didn't get these Jebusites and so they had Jerusalem that was their city and they kept it for years and years until David finally took it so these are leftover people who were supposed to be booted out of the land they now have Jerusalem, so the Levites are well, like, I can't go there. It's a bunch of foreigners. So we'll go a little bit farther. Verse 15. And they turned aside to go in to lodge in Gibeah, which is another few miles up. It's not to Shiloh yet, but it's a couple more miles up past Jerusalem. And they're going into Gibeon. When he went in, he sat him down in the street of the city, for there was no man that took them into his house to lodging. Now, the rule in Israel was, there's no motels, hotels, and like that. When anybody comes into town, you take them home with you. First person to take them home is the, best person there. He always took everybody home. Hospitality was the rule all written out in the Bible. You used to show hospitality to strangers wherever they are. And so that became the way in general in Israel. You, if you're traveling you, people take you home. That's what they did. But he goes into Gibeah and nobody offers any lodging. Now remember he's with his wife. Too. So there's, there's a couple of them. Verse 16. Behold, there came an old man from his work out of the field, even which was also of Mount Ephraim. And he sojourned in Gibeah, but the men of the place were Benjamites. So uh, the city of Gibeah belongs to the tribe of Benjamin. They're from the tribe of Benjamin. This guy... This old man who happens to be living there, working there, is from Ephraim, same place that the Levite's from. So he recognizes him or something. He says, look, uh, you you got to come with me. Verse 17, when he lifted up his eyes, saw a wayfaring man in the street of the city, the old man said, whither goest thou? Whence comest thou? And he said, we are passing from Bethlehem, Judah, toward the side of the Mount of Ephraim and thence i am and, and to bethlehem judah but i am now going to the house of the lord there is no man that receiveth me to house so he's going to shiloh where the house of the lord is he's a Levite, going to shiloh and so nobody lets me in so i'm just gonna sit out here in the street and verse 20 the old man said peace be with thee Howsoever, let all thy wants lie on me, only lodge not in the street. Don't stay outside. Come in. Now, there's a little warning. It's a little more than just hospitality, although it certainly is that. There's more than that. Verse 21. So he brought him into his house, gave provender unto the asses, and they washed their feet and did eat and drink. Now they were making their hearts merry. Behold, the men of the city, certain sons of Belial, beset the house round about, beat at the door, and spoke to the master of the house. The old man said, saying, "Bring forth that man that came into thine house, that we may know him." All right. That was a bad place. There's people who saw him come into town who offered him no place to stay and now he's gone in with the old man from ephraim they're in the house and they're pounding on the door bring that man that guy that just came out here we want to have sex with him that's what it means we want to know him all right Whew. Verse 23, and the man, the master of the house, went out to them and saith unto them, Nay, my brother, nay, I pray you, do not so wickedly, seeing that this man is come into my house. Do not this folly. Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. Them I will bring out now, and humble ye them. Do with them what seemeth good unto you, but unto this man do not so vile a thing. You say, well, that doesn't sound like a good trade-off. Does this sound familiar? It should sound perfectly familiar to you because this happens the second time in the Bible that this exact situation has happened. If you go over to Genesis in chapter number uh, 19. Genesis chapter number 19. We have Sodom and Gomorrah. The first time this happens is in Sodom. It's recorded in the Bible. Two angels come to Lot's house. They look human, but they're angels, and they walk into Lot's house, and... Genesis 19 4 but before they lay down the men of the city even the men of Sodom compassed the house round Both old and young all the people from every quarter and they called unto Lot and said, where are the men? Which came unto thee this night bring them out unto us that we may know them All right, same thing. So that's how Sodomy got its name from the city of Sodom where that took place forcible rape is what it is It's forcible rape and so they back here and judges they, that's what they want they they beat on the man's door and he says i'll give you the ladies of the house as he maybe he's guessing that they won't care about the ladies verse 25 now back in judges 19 the men would not hearken to him so the man took his concubine brought her forth unto them And they knew her and abused her all night until the morning. And when the day began to spring, they let her go. Then came the woman, the dawning of the day, fell down at the door of the man's house where her Lord was till it was light. And her Lord rose up in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out his way. Behold, the woman, his concubine, was fallen down at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, up! Let us be going, none answered. The man took her up on his ass, rose up, and got him to his place. They killed her. They raped her to death. That's what they did. Raped her to death, dropped her on the doorstep, and she died there. I'm sure it was pretty violent, all that happened that night, and uh, now she's dead. I bet you he wish he hadn't lingered, huh? Lingering cost him dearly this time. Cost him dearly, he wanted to get up and go so he could do the Lord's work in Shiloh, but he kept being invited to stay and it turned out to be a very bad choice. And so now his wife that he went to get and spoke friendly to and enjoyed company with her father is dead. These men have raped her to death in the night. So how's that for a story for you? Well, let's take a look at what happens. 29, when the man was coming to his house, he took a knife, laid hold on his concubine, divided her together with her bones into 12 pieces and sent her to all the coast of Israel. And it was so that all saw it said there is no such deed done nor seen from the day that children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt to this day. Consider of it, take advice, speak your minds. So how's that for a mailman delivery? He cuts her up into 12 pieces. So somebody gets an arm and somebody gets a foot. Somebody got a head, I suppose, and a piece of torso. And what is this? Well, there's a message from this Levite from Mount Ephraim. He's down in Shiloh. They raped his wife to death in Gibeah. And he's sending a piece of her body to all the main fathers of the different tribes. And there's 12 tribes. And so he's cut her up in 12 pieces, sent her all around. And uh, there you go. I'd like to know what you're going to do about this. What are you gonna do about it? Well, tell you what we're gonna do. Uh, it, it's a, it sounds like a violent thing, but sometimes it takes something shocking to move people to do what they ought to do. And. You say, well, you know, I don't recommend that. Of course not. And that was an extreme case. But remember, all through the book it's been saying there is no king. There's no unifying under a king. And so they're all just out there doing their own thing. This Levite says, time for us to get together. We are the children of Israel, and we're all cousins we're all cousins. We were brothers. Our fathers were all brothers. and we're all cousins. Now, we got to get together on this thing. So, come on now and tell me what you think. Well, let's see what happens. And then all the children of Israel went out, and the congregation would gathered together as one man, from Dan even to Beersheba, to the land of Gilead, unto the Lord in Mizbah. So, there's a town fairly close by to Shiloh, down here called Mizbah. And they're in Mizpah now. And a lot of them came. They came from all over Israel. Verse 2. And the chief of the people, even all the tribes of Israel, presented themselves to the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 footmen that drew sword. So they've got an army of 400,000 men. That's a pretty good army. They got together. Uh, Finally, we're getting together. Finally, we have a unifying factor in life, and it's this horrible murder that's been pushed on us when we got a piece of body in the mail with a note attached. What do you think about this? So there's 400,000 of them, and uh, they go up, and say, what is all this about? Verse four, Levi, the husband of the woman who was slain, answered, said, I came to Gibeah that belongs to Benjamin, I and my concubine, to lodge. The men of Gibeah rose against me, beset the house round about me by night, and thought to have slain me, and my concubine they have forced, and she is dead. I took my concubine, cut her in pieces, sent her throughout the country of the inheritance, of Israel, for they have committed lewdness and folly. In Israel. What are you going to do about it? What's your choice? What are you going to do? So verse 10. We'll take 10 men of a 100 throughout all the tribes of Israel. a 100 of 1,000. 1,000 out of 10,000. To fetch victuals for the people that they may do. And we come to Gibeah, Benjamin. According to all the folly they have wrought in Israel. So we're going to take 10% of this army. And turn it into a food supply. We got a lot of people there. Almost half a million people have come. Those are just the the men in arms. They got a lot of people. So we're going to take 10% of you supply food for us. So we can get this job done. We're going to go down there. We're not going to have this happen. We're going to take care of it. So verse 12. Tribes of Israel sent men through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What wickedness is this that is done among you? You guys let that happen. Now, therefore, deliver us the men, the children of Belial, which are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death, put away evil from Israel. That's a reasonable request. It's murder, it's violent murder, it's a really disgusting crime. And they say, we wanna know who did it. You turn them over to us and we'll take care of it. And so turn those people over. But the children of Benjamin would not hearken to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. Children of Benjamin gathered themselves together out of the city of Gibeah to go out to battle against the children of Judah. Children of Benjamin were numbered at that time out of the cities 26,000 men that drew the sword, beside the inhabitants of Gibeah, which numbered 700 chosen men. And so they got 26,000 men in there as an army. And there's an extra 700. That 700 is somebody to take note of. Here we go. uh, verse 16, among all this people, there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Everyone could sling stones at a hair's breadth and not miss. Now, for some reason, and we don't know all the, the reasons behind it, but the children of Benjamin, apparently very athletic, strong, uh, healthy type people, and they were all left-handed. And instead of, you know, being clumsy, they were anything but clumsy. Now here, he said, they could take slingshots and stones. And they said, if they missed their target, it was only by a hair. In other words, they didn't miss. They never missed. So they could take a stone. In those days, you're flipping it around and letting it go like that and hit their target every time. 700 of them and do that. Later on the Bible we'll read that the Benjamites left-handed ones were the best uh, with a bow and arrow. Best archers in the Bible were left-handed Benjamites. So there's something about these Benjamites that's very athletic, capable men and there's 700 of them that are experts with slingshots. So they said we're not turning them guys over, they're one of us, there we go, now we got the flaws, this is not an unreasonable request, somebody's committed murder, the whole group of them, just turn them over, we'll take them, turn them over to us, and we'll finish this business, it'll be done, no. Because they're one of us. Now, there is the flaw of society that happens all the time. We're living in it constantly today. You can do wrong, but if you're one of us, we're going to protect you. That is not the basis of a good society. It's not the basis of anything. There is right and there is wrong. And in society and in the world and in God's world, certainly... We got the issue what uh, decides it is right and wrong. All right? That's what it should be. Now, what the Bentonites say here, they're ours. They're one of us. So they can't do wrong. And you see how society has become like that today. If it's one of us, one of our group, we don't care what they do. It's not wrong as long as they're one of us. All right? That's not the way things should be. And it's certainly a, a deterioration in society when society begins to say, all right, our little group can't do wrong. You can't ever blame us for anything we can't do wrong. Oh, well, that's not how it should work. And that's how they're playing it. So therefore, we got an army of 400,000, 10% off of that, all right, Uh, compared to an army of 26,000. And so the children of Israel says, hey, you won't turn them over, we're coming. We're coming for you. Verse 18, the children of Israel arose, went to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, which of us shall go first to battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Now Judah always went first. That's the way it was when you go through. The leading tribe was Judah. And the reason Judah was a leading tribe is because out of Judah was coming the line of kings. First one in the tribe of Judah is David. All right. And then on down and all the way down till, of course, Christ is from the tribe of Judah, Jesus is from the tribe of Judah so the tribe of Judah were supposed to lead. Who's gonna lead us into battle? Judah. Go up. So here we go. And right, we got the battle ready to go. 19. The children of Israel rose up in the morning and camped against Gibeah. The men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. The men of Israel put themselves in array to fight against them at Gibeah. And the children of Benjamin came forth out of Gibeah and destroyed down to the ground of the Israelites that day twenty and two thousand men. And the men, people of the men of Israel encouraged themselves and set their battle again in array to place where they put themselves array in the first day. The children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until even and asked the Lord, saying, shall I go up to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or Lord said, go up against him. And the children of Israel came near against the children of Benjamin the second day. Benjamin went forth against them out of Judah the second day, destroyed down to the ground of the children of Israel 18,000 men. All these drew the sword. So we got 20,000 and 18,000. We have killed 38,000 Israelites. First day, two days battle, and the children of Israel got whipped soundly. What's wrong with that picture? How did that happen? What was that all about? Well, one of the things that historians say is that the city of Gibeah was on a real high hill, strategically placed on a high hill with a a walled city. And so you're charging up the hill. You're Israelites. You're all set to go, and you got a sword or a spear or whatever, and you're charging up the hill. It's not easy to get up the hill. You're climbing up towards that city, and here they come. They're slingshots. They fix you good. We can put a stone right between your eyes. When, whim, when. And those guys are knocking down the major so fast that you can't even get them out of the way fast enough. First day, they get, what, 20,000 of them. Next day, 18,000. Thousands of people dying. So why? I want to know why. Why did Benjamin win? And why did they lose? See, it doesn't sound right, does it? I mean they were there because of a horrible rape and murder. They wanted justice, right? And so they were filled with a, a moral outrage. They knew what was wrong and there's a moral outrage and we're going to fix what's right. Make it right. Now learn something. This is extremely important. Boy, what a thing for this day we live in. Moral outrage is not enough. doesn't get it done. They had moral outrage. They had plenty of it. We're going to go and we're going to fight them. So they went to God and said, who goes first? You see a problem with that? No. The moral outrage is going to go. They don't say to God, should we go? They don't say to God, what should we do? They say, who's going first? We're all going. Who do you want first in line? Well, Judah always goes first. Good. Off we go. We're here to triumph. After all, we outnumber them by thousands. And they get wiped out the first day. And they go home and they cry. What happened, Lord? Should we go? Go ahead. Go the second day. Moral outrage is the driving force behind it. It is not enough to win the battle. They get soundly defeated two days in a row well it's a strategic problem well yeah it's a strategic problem those guys are good with slingshots and what good is a spear when a guy's standing over there throwing a rock at your head not much good at all all right and there's 700 of them makes quite a quite a uh projectile huh i mean you know it's like if they all had guns they could shoot you and you didn't you know we're going to fight a battle. Oh, here, bang, you're dead. So you say, well, is it all strategic? No, it's not. God helped Samson with a jawbone of an ass, right? And he killed a couple thousand men with a jawbone of an ass. So why are they failing? Because they didn't say God Tell us what we should do. They said, here's what we're going to do, God. And we're going to take care of this moral outrage as we're feeling. And God said, think you got it together? Pretty self-confident, aren't you? Go ahead. Have at it. Wow, did they get robbed? So they cry to the Lord the second day. Should we go? Go ahead. Now, by the third day, where's that (laughs) self-confidence? Now you know you can't do it just on moral outrage. You can't fix the world with moral outrage. You've got to have more than that. What do you got to have? Now well, let's see, verse 26. So children of Israel and all the people went up, came to the house of God, there you go, wept, yep, sat there before the Lord, keep going, fasted that day until the evening, yes, offered burnt offering and peace offerings before the Lord. It's what they should have done first. Well, they waited the third day after being soundly defeated the first two days and now they come to God and they're not big shots saying we come down here to fix them guys now they know we can't do it without God's will to correct the moral deficiencies of society is not going to be done with moral indignation All right. yeah we ought to have it everybody ought to have been sick of what those men did and uh, the men of Benjamin especially should have been offended by their own people doing that. But they weren't offended. They're were going to just fight because there are people. And so finally they've come and they've sat down in the dust and they're crying before God and they're fasting and they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're in Shiloh. They finally got the Shiloh. All through the book of Judges, nobody's been to Shiloh. And that's where the temple is. You didn't see Samson go there. You didn't see Gideon go there. You didn't see any of them go there. Nobody went to Shiloh. Finally, these people now are gathered in Shiloh. That's where God said you're supposed to gather. They have gathered now in God's house, finally getting it right. After the whole book of Judges, somebody finally got their head together. So we're supposed to be in Shiloh doing what God wants. And so to fix the the moral decay in society is not enough to have indignation about it. We have to have God's help and God's guidance to get it done. And so that's a very very up-to-date passage, is it not, for what we are. Right? What well, we are. Are we going to be morally indignant because somebody did something? Well, yeah, it's okay. But then you got to say, if we're going to get anything done, it's going to be with God's help. Not with your own shaking your fist. I'll show you. That's what they were going to do the first day. They got whipped good. Verse 28 Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet go up to battle against the children of Benjamin, my brother, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into my hand. So, what they do is they got beat twice by slingshots. We're not going to do that again. So, they're going to take the old route of Joshua. Joshua, the old commander that brought them into the land, came to a little place called Ai, and he got beat soundly there too. And he said, well, how are we going to do this? Well, we need to be a little bit smarter. We need an ambush. And Joshua set up an ambush. Well, now that's what these guys do, just what Joshua did. They sent the guys up the hill. Looks like a whole army coming up the hill. The guys from Benjamin said, get your the slingshots. The guys, we'll whack them again. They go out to get them, and this time they retreat. They keep backing up. We got them on a run. Get after them. And as they walk get away from their city, then they got liars in wait, people who sneak up and get into the city. Now it's undefended, and they set the city on fire. Gibeah, the place where the, the vicious rape was done, is now burning, and the men who've been fighting out of Gibeah strategically in a good position are now turned around, and their city's on fire. And now they got an army coming up back to them, and there's an army up on the hill coming down, and we're going to fix you good this time. And God said, you're going to come talk to me, ask for my help. We're going to get it done. And they got them good. They got them real good. Verse 43. Thus they enclosed the Benjamin's roundabout, chased them, trode them down with ease over against Gibeah toward the sunrising. There fell of Benjamin 18,000 men. All these were men of valor. And they turned and fled toward the wilderness to the rock of Rimmon. They gleaned of themselves in the highway 5,000 men, pursued hard after them to get, get them, and slew 2,000 Men of them, so that all was fell that day of Benjamin were 25,000 men. So, started with 26,000, right? And they just killed 25,000. There's a thousand left. Whew. They wiped them out. They wiped them out. What else did they do? <coughs> Verse 47, 600 men turned to fled to the wilderness, to the rock rimming and bowed in the rock rimming four months. So they found this place way up on top of a mountain where they're hidden. And 600 men are up there. And that's all that's left men of Israel turned again to the children of Benjamin, smote them with the edge of the sword, as well as the men of every city as the beast and all that came to hand. Also they set on fire all the cities that they came unto. So now every city that belongs to Benjamin, not just Gibeah, but all the way down across. Here there's a group of cities that went to everyone. They killed everything and everybody. It's all gone. All is left of Benjamin, 600 men on the rock. All that's left. Whole tribe of Benjamin. 25,000 men died. They also killed all the women and all the children. Went from city to city. Killed everybody. So, where are we now? Now what do we do? How's it going? How's that justice thing working out in your mind did they overdo it well let's see what happens verse 20 chapter 21 men of israel sworn in Mizpah, saying shall not any of us give his daughter to benjamin to wife The people came to the house of God and abode there, even till before God, lifted up their voices and wept sore and said, oh, Lord God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that there should be today one tribe lacking in Israel? So they said, they're almost extinct. There's only 600 men left. And when we started this thing, because of the vicious nature of the rape, And the fact that the Benjamites were going to stand behind that. Say that was okay because it was them that did it. Uh, We all made a pledge. They're never going to get one of our daughters to wife. Well, let's go get rid of them. So now there's 600 left and they're talking to God. What do we do? This is why God has said in the Bible. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, not yours. I can't ever give it to you because vengeance tends to overstep. It tends to go too far. So God says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will take care of vengeance. And there's a reason that God said that and took it out of our hands. The reason he took it out of our hands is because we always go too far. We push it and push it, push it. And what we fail to have is the mercy that God knows that he extends. So how much vengeance does God have? Well, there'll be a day for vengeance for God, but most of the time it's mercy and mercy and mercy and mercy and mercy. It's forgiveness and forgiveness and mercy and peace. There come a day, God says, when he will take vengeance on the Antichrist and on his forces and on everybody who shook their fist in God's face and said, "You're not telling me what to do. You know, well, there come a day when He's going to fix all that. But for the most part, when it comes to vengeance, God is to show mercy. And so they took vengeance into their hand and through moral outrage, which is not a bad thing, until it's outside of God's plan to have moral outrage, you've got to stick with God real close when that comes. Otherwise vengeance takes you too far. And so God His mercy is going to show to these people. And so now they've said, you know here, these are our cousins and we almost totally wiped out the whole tribe almost totally wiped them out there's only 600 left so now what now what are we going to do uh, what happens now so let's go to verse 4 21 can you pass on tomorrow the people rose early built their altar, and offered birth offerings and peace offerings they got it right they know how to get to god Childeria said, Who is there among all the tribes of Israel that came not with us from the congregation of the Lord? They made a great oath concerning him that came up to the Lord to Mizbah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. So they said, Is there anybody in the whole nation that didn't come and help us? Is there anybody like that? Because we made a promise if somebody doesn't help us destroy this evil out of our nation, why, uh, we're going to put them to death. Verse 6, the children of Israel repented them for Benjamin, their brother, said, there is one tribe cut off from Israel this day. How shall we do for wives for them that remain? See, we have sworn by the Lord, we will not give them our daughters to wife. So in their vengeance, before they went to battle, he said, none of us will ever give a wife to those miserable Benjamites. Now they've made the promise in an act of vengeance. Now there's 600 men with no wives. They killed all their wives, so they won't last long as a tribe with, with no wives. All right. So what are we going to do for them? Verse eight. And they said, "There's one of the tribes of Israel came not up to Mizbah to the Lord, and behold, there came none to the camp from Jabesh Gilead to the assembly." So over across the river way over here in the land of Gilead, there's a walled cities over there, Jabesh Gilead. And when they called out and when the pieces of bodies showed up at the door, we gotta do something, people at Jabesh Gilead said, ah, we're not doing nothing. We're not going over there and fight. We're We're not that upset about it. So <laughs> Let's see. Let's see what happens. 10. The congregation said to their 12,000 men of the valentists, and commanded them, saying, Go and smite the inhabitants of Jabez-Gilead with the other sword and with the women and children. And this is the thing you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every man, every woman that hath lain by man. And they found among the inhabitants of Jabez-Gilead 400 young virgins that had known no man by lying with a the man. They brought him to the camp of Shiloh. Which is the land of Canaan? So, they got four hundred young girls had never been married from this town of Jabesh Gilead. They killed everybody else because they didn't help. They brought these four hundred girls. Now we got to go out to that rock where these six hundred guys are and say, "We brought you some wives." The whole congregation sent to speak to the children of Benjamin that were in the rock of Rimmon, called peaceably unto them. Benjamin came again at the time. They gave them wives. They had saved alive the women of Jabesh Gilead. And so they suffered them not. People repented them for Benjamin because the Lord made a breach in the tribes of Israel. They felt bad now. They'd gone too far. They'd gone too far. They had to find a way. So they took these four. 100 women, of course there's 600 men, so we're still a little short. <laughs> so we gotta figure out what we're gonna do. <laughs> so it's really an unusual solution here. Verse 19, they said, Behold, there's a feast of the Lord in Shiloh yearly in a place which is on the north side of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goeth up from Bethel to Shechem, the south of Labona. And they commanded the children of Benjamin, saying, Go ye and lie in wait in the vineyards. And see, and behold, if the daughters of Shiloh come out to dance and dances, come out of the vineyards and catch you every man and his wife for the daughters of Shiloh and go to the land of Benjamin. (laughs) So he said every year it's a feast of tabernacles and the uh, girls go dance. And it's a happy dance, it's Feast of Tabernacles, where it's a harvest feast, and, and they're all dancing. And it's not a wild dance, it's a nice, pretty, beautiful dance, and they're all dancing there. And so you hide out in the vineyards up at Shiloh. And when the girls are dancing, grab them. Go out and grab them and take them home. <laughs> <laughs> That's an unusual solution, I gotta say. 22, it shall be when their fathers or their brethren come to us to complain, we will say to them, be favorable unto them for our sakes, because we reserved not to each man his wife in the war, or we killed all their wives and so uh, you did not give unto them at this time that you should be guilty. The children of Benjamin did so, took them wives according to their number of them that danced, and they caught, and they went and returned to their inheritance, repaired the cities, and dwelt in them. And so they got enough wives for everybody by stealing the girls that were dancing. Everybody laid off and said you gotta, they gotta have a wife, so let them go ahead and take the girls. And, they all got a wife, went home, and built their cities. Verse 24, children of Israel departed thence at this time, every man to his tribe, to his family, and everyone went out from thence, every man to his inheritance. And there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so here's the story of uh, mistaken duty, as the levite fails to return home to do his duty lingers and gets caught in this awful situation where he's left on the street somebody brings him in it's too late now they get his wife rape her to death he cuts her in pieces sends it out it's quite a story isn't it quite a story they come with vengeance on their mind, morally outraged, but they get beat twice because you can't do the Lord's business if that's all that's in your heart. (laughs) Finally, they sit down with God and do what they're supposed to do. They're back in Shiloh. Finally, they're sacrificing. Finally, you see Israel uh, back at the altar, praying. Finally, they've come together as a whole country. It took a lot to get them there, didn't it? It took an awful lot. It wasn't a king that got them there. It was vengeance and justice and moral outrage, but they needed to fix what was wrong with God's help and do it in God's way and as soon as they did that way it worked out and even this strange little last chapter where they're stealing girls from dancing out in the field <laughs> they got it to work out and they got peace back and they preserved the remnant of Benjamin now the remnant of Benjamin is the next king we go on, we're going to go on a little bit from here into Samuel. The next king is Saul. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. So those 600 up there on the rock, there's still some pretty good hombres up there. They didn't get to be the last 600 by being sissies. And along comes this man in a little bit, and he's this big. He's a great big guy. He said he was head and shoulders above everybody else. His name was Saul. And he gets anointed to be king. So the first king of Israel is from the tribe of Benjamin. Why do you suppose that is? It's the mercy of God. The mercy of God being shown to the tribe of Benjamin. So God wants to forgive. And God said... We want you to forgive him. Peter says, well, should we forgive him seven times? And what did Jesus say? Seventy times seven. How much you should forgive. Seventy times seven. That's 490 times a day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. think you could do that. It's a lot of forgiveness, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That's what Jesus recommends because... He said, vengeance is mine. I'll take care of making things right. You just come to me. Sit down at my feet, and we'll get it done. So it's this great story to end up with the book of Judges as finally they got together. Finally they got together in the right place. They're in Shiloh, finally. They're sacrificing, finally. It's starting to get a taste of what once was with Moses and Joshua finally got a taste so what does God do next week we'll see what God does thank you